Because that's S H I T. That spells shit. We're aware, and I know that's fucking weird. But listen to this shit. Ashley, I, I fucking love you. It's been so long. Actually, the last time I saw you was in L.A. This was about, what, maybe three, maybe four years ago. I say four years ago. Four or five years ago. Yeah. It's been a while. Yes. But you came through because you're from Orange County. And of course, I I do not claim Orange County. You keep telling me all the time. You keep (laughs) saying that I'm from that place, but I'm not from that place. You're from many places. You're from many places. But I whenever you and I met back in, I think that was 2010 in Brooklyn. uh, All I remember, I think all that stood out to me, maybe because I was maybe because I was glorifying California just for so long. And so Orange County stuck out to me. Which is I funny because now it now it does not. Now I'm like Orange County. Now, now you know better. Not really. It's kind <laughs> of uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty um, uh, conservative there. Yeah, it is. But, you know, um, I'm no longer a voter there, but I was so happy to vote in. I think it was 2018 um, after Trump was elected, because usually Orange County votes uh Republican, and it has historically for decades. Um, it was the home of Nixon and so forth. Um, but actually, in 2018, my local um, House representative, we swung from a far right Trump supporter to a far left progressive understudy of um, Bernie and um, and and what's her face, the, the chick. Uh, who ran for president? Help me out. Oh, uh, Warren. 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 So she. Yeah. So uh, this this lady is named Katie Porter. She is a boss. Um, look her up on YouTube. Watch her do her thing um, in the house. She's phenomenal. But uh, th- that is the one thing that I'm really proud of in Orange County and being an Orange County voter. That is awesome. Look at that pendulum go. Indeed, boy. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Um, I'm I'm so I'm so glad we're we're doing this. And you know, for for those who are listening, I met I met Ashley back in in I think 2010. You know, I had lived in Brooklyn probably no more than a year. I mean, maybe it, it wasn't even a full year at that point. I don't remember. Um, I remember we we met out. We were we were at a bar one night, and I, quite honestly, I was shit faced. And I just I remember hearing Ashley talk in the corner of the bar. <laughs> I remember. Even in my inebriated state, I remember feeling um, like, who is, I'm like, what is this girl talking about? There's someone in the corner who sounds really smart and has a lot of conviction. And, and I just kind of like sauntered over. I mean, I was, I was, this was definitely part of my several year long phase where I would go out to, you know, bars or whatever. And I would, you know, I'd be, I'd be on the, I'd be on the hunt. And by the hunt, I mean, um, you know, to, to be, to really awkwardly flirt and not do anything cool with women. Um, yeah, I can attest to that. That's exactly what on the hunt meant at the time. Yes. Yes. hundred percent, hundred percent. Unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't die so soon there that, that went on for years and, and lost it. <laughs> um, but anyways, I think I, 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 I just like approached you or something and, and 
in my head, of course, I don't remember the details. In my head, I was like, wow, you sound really small. That's probably not what happened. Do you remember the first time we met? Um, I, I, in broad strokes, um, I can confirm <laughs> we were we were definitely at um, a gay bar in Manhattan. We were in, um, I think, the village somewhere, maybe in the West Village. We were, we were at the cubby hole. I remember. Yeah, we were the cubby hole. Exactly. And I was with some dude that I was <laughs> hooking up with. And you <laughs> and Mindy were horrified um, by this drunken guy that I was with. Um and yeah, that's, and then I just remember we met and then we started hanging out, um, immediately because we were, we were bonding, bonding over our cannabis smoking. I mean, among other we things. Were, and you, you were also we were, trying to we kiss were, me all the time. I'm glad you brought that up because I kept <laughs> thinking to myself before we did this interview, I thought I really want to call myself out for this. Oh no, I'll <laughs> do it for you. Second. Don't worry. <laughs> because listeners, listen, it wasn't, it's not like I was throwing myself at Ashley but you know in my in my um in my uh, typical uncool way it was always like we'd be hanging out and I always thought well because it, 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 it we there was sort of a um an unspoken agreement oh maybe this is maybe this is maybe this is like a there's a little chemistry here I don't really know and because we clicked so well as friends and I was still attracted to you I kept, I would just find moments when we were hanging out for, the, for several months and I would try, just, and I was like acting like I was trying to be funny, but probably not. And I would just be like, do you want to make out? <laughs> yes. Time and time again. And that happened several times, Bethany. And do you remember, I, I think, I think it I happened do. three or four times. And then I finally said, I remember the night. Look, bitch. I remember the night. Look, bitch. <laughs> if you were a man. I I would never have hung out with you again. Like this is this would have oh. been this is this would have been a disqualifier for for a, a, a somebody with a penis, you know. And um and I'm like you've kind of you've kind of worn out all of your all, <laughs> all, all I don't know all all your passes. Uh, we're not going to hang oh, out anymore man. if you keep if you keep doing this. And then you stopped. Oh. Um and then it and then it was all good, you know. But uh, you, yeah, you definitely exhausted why, your your you kiss tokens. That. You know what? When I'm really think when I'm thinking about this now, that example of you telling me that, and you were very direct, but you were still kind. I feel like that was probably one of the few great examples that I recall from my twenties of somebody expressing their boundaries in a healthy way, or or, in, or in a healthy and a direct way. Right? Um, so looking back on that now, I'm like, that is so badass. But I remember the night when it finally sunk in, you and I, this was like, I think it was New Year's Eve. I don't remember which year we were going into, but Black Swan had come out. This was the night we went and saw Black Swan in the movie theater. Like, are you kidding me? Um, I think it was like earlier on a New Year's Eve and we'd seen the movie Black Swan for God's sakes, which I was already freaking out about, you know, because Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis for Christ's sakes. Um, <laughs> Okay. Uh, nine minutes in, <laughs> we're uh, anyways. I just I love that, and I love that you um it, at least enjoyed me enough as a friend to still keep me around. And you're so right. What a great example of um a double standard. Yeah, that was I, that know. was straight up pussy privilege. Like absolutely. 
we don't we don't often get it i mean take it while you can and uh you know i'm glad i'm making some jokes but also thank you thank you for the mm. the compliment um because that that truly was my intention right like uh, i really enjoyed hanging out with you yeah. it was nice to have friends it was uh, or it was nice to build our friendship and it was nice to have friends nearby you know you ended up bringing me pretty much to crown heights um because you and you and mindy lived there and then when i needed to switch apartments i mean I felt so comfortable in, in the hood that uh, I also moved there. So, you know, wow. thanks. Yeah, thanks for that. And thanks for thanks for that feedback. Um, because, I mean, that that is a goal of being being direct, but still kind of empathetic and kind. So um, I'm glad I was even doing it back 11 years ago. Wow. <laughs> Big win. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't believe. Well, that didn't. That's when we, we met 11 years ago. That was it's not important. Um that is so awesome but i again i'm i'm just, i'm glad that you wanted to continue to stay friends and i think that it really was so helpful to me because it was like oh oh my god wait a minute wait a minute i'm going to this is i'm risking uh, losing a friendship here i don't want to i don't want to annoy ashley dear god you know it was so perfect cuz you know sometimes we have to spell it out for people you know people can get so offended from others and think well this person should know better or don't they that, that you know what i mean and then it's like, if there's no real communication, how the fuck do we, you know, how do we make progress with things anyways? For sure. Um, but I think, I think also to add to that, we also have so many going assumptions. Like there are so many things that people don't talk about and so many assumptions around our expectations of each other and also what our own boundaries are, where I don't think that we question, we actively kind of question ourselves and bring out what our own needs are. Um, nor do we kind of bring that out for other people and then openly communicate and kind of negotiate what our needs and boundaries and desires are in, in an empathetic way, you know, and how can we, if we don't know what our own is or are, um, but nonetheless, mm -hmm. I mean, I think, yeah, we just rely on a lot of assumptions and unspoken rules, which is bullshit because we all have different rules and assumptions and expectations. So just say that shit kindly, you know? It you totally and and I and I just and it's really just listening to you talk right now really reminds me of why I just loved you so much from the second I met you. I just love I loved how <clears throat> how direct you were and how and how you just expressed yourself and your truth and you questioned things and you you just you, I just you know what it was it was a lot of admiration. You know what I'm saying? Too kind and, and of course. It, at the time, you know, it, of course, I didn't quite probably understand. I was like, how do I express my admiration? Oh, we have to kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm kidding. But I'm just, God, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I that I just have grown. Okay. Um, I feel like this is so funny. I feel like this episode could be all about boundaries instead of ayahuasca. But let's, let's move on in. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. We were living... We were living in Brooklyn for like a couple of years. And then at some point you had graduated from uh, the new school, right? Yeah, you got it. And, and what, what was your degree in again? Yeah, I was, uh, I did my master's of arts in, um, in international development at the new right. school. Okay, that's right. Okay. And I don't remember how long you were at some point you were like, I'm leaving the country. 
Can you just tell me about that process? Like, what was your? Yeah, well, I I knew your goals. I knew I was going to leave the country before. Um, like grad school was the enabler to get me out of the country. Um, so backing up a little bit, I know this isn't the subject of the episode, so I'm just going to try not to give too many. No, too that's okay. Too many details, but um, I essentially was a traditional kind of capitalist and working working in the private sector from the time I was 18 um, through college. I put myself through uh, to get my my bachelor's and uh, worked full time while going to school and was working in business. Uh, first at a Fortune 500 company and then um, in a medium sized kind of family owned business. And I studied abroad in London for six months while getting my bachelor's. And um, what was your name? Sorry. I'm so sorry. What did you, you say? You studied abroad. Oh, I... you studied abroad in England. I said, "What was your name?" Please continue. <laughs> you and your okay. jokes. I wish I caught it though. How slow of me. Um, next time. Well, you're also like four thousand miles away. You know, I don't know why that would make. It's anyway, true. You can't get jokes when you're too far away. Um, yeah, it, it can be hard. Yeah. So that was that was my first time abroad, and I was exposed to a bunch of things, which I, I won't. I forgot that you did that. You you studied abroad in you said in England. Yeah, yeah. I was in I was in London, okay. so in the UK. That was my first time out of America. Um, I had never even gone to Mexico. Um, I guess I had been to Canada, so technically over the northern border. But um, yeah, so that was that was a really opening experience. Um, I met South Africans, uh, some white South Africans that blew my mind. I knew nothing about um, African history, really, aside from some things about slavery. And um, I also took this course that was called Third World Politics at the university. And it was my first time with um, other students from the global south. Um, And it really uh, blew my mind because um, my foundation was shaken around capitalism and that business was also um, something that was causing harm. I had never been in a space that critically reflected on American imperialism and the American capitalist system and so forth. So um, this was a huge inflection point for me. And I went back to the States, finished finished my bachelor's and felt like, wow, I need to use my uh, business acumen for good. And I am um, like a lifelong learner and I love school. So I felt like I need to go to grad school now to re-educate myself in um, international affairs and development theory so that I can try to apply my business skills um, for something more positive and that is um, healing. <laughs> I don't know that I've achieved that. I'm certainly still on that journey of trying to trying to do so. Um, but essentially, that's that's what brought me to grad school. And after... After I had been in the UK, I think I came home to the States and thought about it for maybe six months or so and um, found a way to study abroad a second time in South Africa because of some of the things that I learned um, in the UK that blew my mind also. And I'm, I'm very attracted to what, when I find something that I don't know about, I really kind of dive in and um, go all out. So I was curious about South Africa. So then I found a way to also be there for several months. And that was my first time on the African continent. And after living there, I said, okay, well, I'm out of the States. I'm, I'm gone. There's, you know, Europe is interesting. Africa is interesting. Let me get my master's degree and get the fuck out of here. Um, 
and wow. explore, explore more and expose myself to more because I know nothing. Um, and that, yeah. And then the, the journey continued. Wow. It's so funny hearing about it now when, you know, it, with, <clears throat> and such little un understanding of that process that you were going through of discovering that and deciding that, you know, and here I just, you know, oh, here's my friend Ashley. She's in school, you know, and she's a badass. And that was, you know, but hearing about it now, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just really inspiring. Um, so you, when you first, I remember when you, when you left uh, New York, you first went to Rwanda, I believe. That's correct. Yeah, I was, okay. I moved to Rwanda in um, the early summer of 2012. Which, by the way, which, by the way, listener, that's in Africa. Yeah. In case yeah. So I'm just making sure, you know, I don't know who's listening. Definitely. So just for, for the average listener, Rwanda <laughs> is in East Africa. It's one of 54 African countries. Um, and yeah, it's, it's in the Eastern the central eastern part of the continent it's a very small country um and yeah and i lived there for four and a half years um and and really settled in and i, I do feel like it is um, another home to me and after yeah, yeah so rwanda's got a big and, part and of my heart tell us yeah I, re I remember that just from, you know, staying in contact with you and your posts and all of that stuff. Can you briefly tell us what you did when you were in Rwanda? Briefly. I mean, nothing is brief with me, but um, let know. me I let know. me try. Um, more or less. Briefly doesn't mean 30 seconds, you know, take five minutes if you want. Yeah, well, let, let me try not to. But uh I mean, I was, I, I worked, I had a few different roles while I was there, but I more or less was working in um, agriculture supply chains and worked with um, mushrooms for consumption of protein, uh, for production and consumption um, in the local market. And then I also was working in the coffee supply chain. So connecting um, women coffee farmers to the specialty coffee supply chain because that has higher quality and therefore fetches higher prices um, and thus can earn um, women and families more money than um, typical coffee. So I did that and then also built a coffee roasting company within Rwanda um, to actually buy the coffee from the women who are producing it and um, yeah, sell it to wholesale and retail markets in Rwanda and, um, and in the region. So that's in a nutshell, what I did in Rwanda. I love that. I love that. And then you left Rwanda eventually and you went to Zimbabwe. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> nice try. Zimbabwe is in Southern Africa. So that is, that is in the, the south, the southern part of the continent, just north of uh, South Africa. But instead, I went from East Africa and Rwanda to West Africa. Um, and first, I was in Cote d'Ivoire or Ivory Coast. Um, and I lived in a small cocoa trading town for a few months before relocating to Accra, Ghana. Um, and Ghana is a neighboring country to Cote d'Ivoire. 
It's also in West Africa and both of these countries, um, listeners definitely know them, even if they're not aware, because they produce 70% of the cocoa in the world. So a lot of the chocolate that people are eating originates and is produced and originates um, in Cote d'Ivoire and in Ghana. Wow. And I just want to tell you, you know, listening to you say this um, and, and talk about this, you know, I know that this is such a... Um, this has just become your way of life. I mean, this is, this is just what you've done. These are the facts, you know, but, but hearing you talk about it um, to potentially an average, I feel like I'm always talking shit on Americans. My point is, is that it sounds so, it sounds so romantic hearing you talk about it. Do you know what I'm saying? It sounds so, um, wow, I want to, I want to go to this third world country and work in cocoa. You know, it's like, it's, it sounds like, it sounds so, delicious i yeah not because i think i think that's a common reaction people people really kind of glorify this kind of work and um also i get a lot of like thank yous like i'm a charity worker or um or something like this like i'm saving people and saving the world and it's just it's really (laughs) not true all of these systems are super fucked up i'm still working in these big cash crop and neo-colonial crops that are produced for export where the producers are really not earning much for all of their investment and labor um, contributing to these supply chains. Um, and the work when you're the individual doing it is is not super sexy. Um, and oftentimes we're doing a lot of the same things that people are doing back home in the States. You know, we're on computers, we're on calls, um, we're, we're doing, we're sending emails. I mean, there, there's more to it than that. But it's, it's not nearly as um, sexy as I think people assume it to be. And um, we're certainly not saving anybody. These systems are super fucked up and they're super embedded and they're, they're built in um, colonialism and, and a lot of inequality and imbalance of power. Um, and those structures and systems persist. Um, and I do just want to want to highlight, I don't mean to correct you, but um mentioning, you know, living in third world countries, I, I find it difficult to hear third world because it kind of makes a comparison between the so-called first world as if like uh, we're leading somehow and we're, we're like better in, in first place as opposed to third at a lower tier and below. Um, and so at least for me, I feel more comfortable using language around the global north and the global south um, because there there are like hemispheric um, implications to the differences in um, kind of economic growth and power and influence. Um, so I, I prefer to use the term global south. I, I love that. And thank you for correcting me. And, you know, as I actually said third world, I thought to myself, is this something, something felt just like a teensy bit off. But um, a lot of people say it, you know, and a lot of people also say developing sure. as if, like, uh, they need to catch up. Um, and I just have really strong opinions about these things. That's, so <laughs> I, I I really will know it. And it, it makes a lot of sense to me, too. Um, and I there. Yes. So I, I, I feel that one thousand percent. And thank you. For that. <laughs> Sorry, it's like a bizarre pause. And I was finishing my thought and looking at my notes well actually that leads me to um a question that, i mean because you're giving me such such great stuff for 
um, for Americans who only know and, you know, watch news or read about, you know, um, the global South. Did I say Yeah, yeah, say well correctly? done. Well done. Thank you. What what are some things that, that you would want us to know or, or me to know or just something off the top of your head, right? Because again, just like I said, just like how I referred to it as a third world country, there are assumptions being made, you know, or, or what, what maybe blew your mind, um, uh, you know, just being over there and, and, you know, compared to my God, you know, I'm sure you probably have had a lot of experiences where people from back home in the States asked you a lot of questions that maybe were felt, I mean, I can imagine in your shoes would feel probably aggravating and it's like, it's not like that, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think, I think even starting the way that we discussed in this call, like recognizing the diversity um, for example, like I'll, I'll speak more to my experience in, on the African continent and in the countries that I've, I've lived in previously. Um, and I think, you know, not referring to like Africa is not a monolith. Yes. It's a continent. And there, there are 54 countries that make up the continent of Africa. Um, but I think that the way, especially in um, the U S it's depicted as very much a charity case or a war-torn continent um, or safari land. It's like one of those three. And um, there's, yeah. a, there's so much, there's so much diversity. Um, there's so much wealth. There's so much um, culture and things to learn for us to learn um, about, all these people and languages and societies and cultures and histories. Um, and we're, we're so ignorant to it. And it's hard not to blame individuals when you're in a position such as mine and you, you do get asked a lot of questions and it can get really frustrating to your point. But um, over time, I've been able to really recognize that not everyone has had the privilege um, to make some of the choices that I've made. Um, or felt comfortable taking the risks, um, or even desired to. So I've, I've put myself in a position where I'm lucky enough to know some of these things and have these insights. So I try really hard not to judge others for not having followed the same journey. Um, but I think, I think diversity is a major element. Um, I think that, again, there's, there's richness and beauty and um, happiness and much to learn from African societies, cultures, and countries. And I think that that is not really a part of the dialogue. The dialogue is very much um, a white savior, Western savior kind of complex without recognizing um, the history of Europe and uh, America and being colonizers and imperialists um, in in a direct and or indirect sense, like economically, for example. Um, and recognizing, you know, why I think the current, um, economic situation and inequality is very much a factor of the choices that our governments are making now, as in, in the West, um, as opposed to maybe, um, 
African governments being backwards and things like this. I think there's there's a lot of assumptions around that. I'm not trying to say that everything's perfect and that a lot of the African governments have figured all of it out. But what government has? Look at the COVID crisis. Who's who's figured it out seamlessly? Mm-hmm. Everybody's um, working on this together. So, or uh, you know, at their at their own pace and have have their own approach. Um, I do. Right. I, I I have so many other things that I can say, but I'm sure we don't want to focus on this forever. But um, I do want to say that there I, I've received so much um, love and kindness and um, hospitality. And um, I have learned and grown so much from the people that I have made as friends and and um, built into my family system from my time in Rwanda and Ghana. And um, I think that the West has a lot to learn about community, about caring for each other, about um, caring Mm. for especially our elders and being being connected and loving each other and caring for each other um, in a way that I think that the West, like Western Europe and North America, we've we've really lost touch with, and we're we're so focused on yeah. work, um, and money, and growth, and individualism, mm. um, that I think we've we've lost a lot of our connection to each other. And um, I think that my time in East and West Africa has really made me very aware of that. And there there are other ways um, to live life, to be in community, and to. Um, show up for each other. Wow. That's, that's so huge. That's really, I mean, that's. Yeah. And if I can actually, there's, there's one more, one more thing I want to add, which is like the entrepreneurship of people. Um, Like I, I'm really, really sick of um, this trope of, you know, poor Africans that, you know, are kind of just mm-hmm. recipients of aid, for example. Um, and even for workers, mm-hmm. that, for people like myself in, in development or in international supply chains, um, really feeling like, you know, the solutions need to be brought to um, Africans, for example. And honestly, it's bullshit. Like, they know what they need. They know how to solve problems. They're, they're, super entrepreneurial, super innovative in solving problems that your typical Westerner in Europe or in America, we would, we would die because we have no idea how to use what's around us. We're so used to buying things and outsourcing things. And we've lost a lot of our creativity Mm. and inventiveness. And I don't know why we keep thinking that we have some solution. Well, I do. I mean, racism and white supremacy and colonialism, but um, (laughs) aside from that, like I, (laughs) like those are little things. Um, but you know, this perpetual idea that the (laughs) solutions are supposed to come from outside is really bullshit. Um, people, people there are super innovative and entrepreneurial. And I wish that outsiders, um, could see that. Yeah. And I, I, you're enlightening me, you know, as, as well of course right and i just and i really really appreciate that insight and it just makes uh, it just makes so much sense you know it's like you know just just 
this idea that we we have every you know it's just like and not to make this you know just an american thing but i am you know an, an american and this idea of us thinking that we we know everything and that we're better than everyone right because like you said you know money and power and of, of course sure that's 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 a that's a human thing but um it's just very it's just very well it's so much confirmation bias because we we seek out looking for things that we're familiar with and then we might not see them and then we say oh well they're lesser or worse off or they need our help to get what it is that we have where we're completely blind to the richness and or beauty and love etc that already exists because it doesn't look the same. It's not the same model. So then we're blind to it. And, um, you know, I just, I just wish everybody could just shut up and listen, um, more (laughs) and observe more and be in community more and stop thinking that, you know, we each have the answer. Like, let's start saying, I don't know. I'm not sure. What do you think? Oh, I know. You are you you are now in Amsterdam. Well, I'm in I'm in the Netherlands and okay. I, I'm in a city called Utrecht. Oh which yeah. the Dutch the Dutch will be very upset with how I pronounce it. <laughs> but I'm I'm it's technically well, in an American accent it would be Utrecht. Right. U T R E C H T, right? You got it. Okay. I did a little research before I, I hopped on the call. <laughs> Such a professional. Um, okay. And, and you actually, you know, what's weird. I, I vaguely remember there being a, a new, what is it called? Like a new Utrecht. There, there's some somewhere in Brooklyn that had that name in it. I don't know if you remember that. I remember the U-T-R-E-C-H-T. Anyhow, how long have you, how long have you been in the Netherlands? I've I've been in the Netherlands now for nearly three years. I can't believe it. Okay, and tell me tell me again when when uh, ayahuasca happened, and then and then I'm going to cut back and and talk about the the preemptive sort of the, yeah. the process leading up to that. Yeah. So um, I think ayahuasca was um, nearly two years now. So it was the summer of 2019, like August-ish. Okay. And were you, um, you were obviously living in the Netherlands. How far did you, you know what, actually, I'm just going to let you, let you start off with, um, tell me initially when you had heard about ayahuasca and what drew you to it. Yeah, I think I've been hearing about ayahuasca. Yeah. yeah, I think I've been hearing about ayahuasca for um, maybe almost two decades or definitely more than one. Um, so I've always been kind of interested in the idea of it, knowing that it's, you know, a really powerful Amazonian, uh, you know, plant medicine and that people have very significant experiences um, and that it's usually a very healing experience. So I'd heard about that through numerous channels um, and individuals for for quite some time. And um, I actually, 
I don't know if, well, yeah, I think even when we met, um, I, I wasn't really experimenting with any drugs. Like I started a bit late with, um, with drinking and taking cannabis. Um, I waited, I was very afraid my dad was an alcoholic. So I started drinking when I was 21, um, while studying abroad in the UK and um, also my same set of very lovely friends in the dorms, my first time ever living in a dorm and not being a serious workaholic and uh, doing school on the side, had free time to, to drink and get high and um, felt like I was mature enough to do it. And mm-hmm. then I, I was always very afraid of anything more than that, the element of, of losing control. So hallucinogenics and these and psychedelics were seemed totally off the table. Um, but in my thirties, I'm 36 now. Um, so in the last six years, I've really, uh, gotten much more comfortable with, um, letting go and losing a bit of control, um, and experimenting with things like mushrooms and LSD and like psychedelic mushrooms, um, LSD and um ecstasy and mdma and, and things like this so I've, I've gotten much more comfortable um but i really don't see ayahuasca as a recreational uh drug it, i see it very much as like a healing medicine mm-hmm. um and i think i was in a very bad place for a few years um and i hit my um, maybe not my peak, but like my, my lowest point, um, I think when my former partner, um, to me, shockingly to me, uh, broke up with me and, um, that was very unexpected and kind of outside of the realm of possibility in my mind. Um, and there were many things that were, that I was struggling with before that happened that were also outside of the relationship. Um, that he had been kind of mirroring back to me saying that uh, I was being really mean to myself. And he, he really saw me struggling and did his best to try to support me and guide me to get support. And in some ways um, I tried to get that support, but uh, you know, there were blocks and barriers uh, within me that didn't enable me to, you know, make the progress that I kind of needed, needed to make for myself, not for our relationship. Um and, um, yeah, that un- unfortunately between that and probably just, um, a lack of alignment, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't in the cards for he and I to be together, but, um, I'm actually pretty glad for that because within a month of that breakup, me seeing, you know, how down I was something, I was traveling for work and I was in Kenya. So it's back in East Africa, uh, a country or two away from Rwanda, very close by, um, I was traveling for work there and I found myself in the evening eating a hotel dinner in my hotel room and Googling um, ayahuasca and Amsterdam just to see if, uh, because in the Netherlands um, they have relatively open um, or they tolerate a lot of drug use, even though it is um, often thought that it's legal to do a lot of these things here and it, it's not but it's tolerated um mm-hmm. a whole other complex thing around uh, dutch policy around um different kind of drugs and medicines but nonetheless ayahuasca is allowed and so i actually found several people that hosted uh, ceremonies 
and really guide you through the ceremonies. Um, and some are Dutch and some are guides uh, from the Amazon. So I immediately, I found a site that um, had a lot of videos and a lot of information and they had a three-day ceremony that was available, meaning that you do ayahuasca three days in a row. So a very intensive experience. Um, and many of the testimonials and people speaking just said, you know, one day was okay. But like, you know, the first day, really, if you do three days, for example, you kind of, um, the first day you... Are a little uptight. You're not sure what to expect. Um, second day, you know what to expect. So you calm down. And third day, you're like really ready to kind of jump in and go with it um, and, mm-hmm. and follow where it leads you. And I, I felt like I, I had already been working on meditation, on my yoga practice. I'd been going to therapy. I had been following some uh, books that my therapist had suggested. I read a few philosophical books like Eckhart Tolle's The New Earth. Um, Mm -hmm. And yet I still felt like there were, there were a few, there were like some black boxes or walls in front of me that were just, I just felt like I, I couldn't, I didn't know what else to work on or what else to do. Like there were just things that were out of reach. And I felt like ayahuasca was, um, presented to me on my journey as like, let's blow up these walls. Um, and maybe, maybe this medicine, uh, will help me do that. And so that's kind of the story leading up to, to me, um, taking this, uh, three day ceremony and journey. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Kid, would you, would you describe it as just leading up to it? You know, it's like you here I am, I'm doing all of these things to help myself, but I am still suffering. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, I'm suffering so much and also not, not knowing, you know, why I was suffering or what there was to overcome. There was, there were, were these elements of unknown that now it's a few years ago and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like uh, how else to describe it. I was, I could describe it more poignantly before, but definitely just feeling like there were things out of reach that therapy couldn't help me figure out and meditation couldn't help me figure out. So how can I fix something if I don't even know what the problem is? Right. Right. Fix or accept even, you know, how do I accept something that it's not in my (laughs) business? Right. Like, it was just all, I, it felt very buried. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just out of curiosity, the kind of therapy that you were doing when you led up to that, what kind of therapy was, was it cognitive behavioral therapy? Yeah. It was a mix- shock. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. And I shouldn't laugh because some people can legitimately use um, electroshock therapy and they should, if that's uh, what they're what their doctors yeah, and recommend can... and it's well researched sure. but um yeah i'm i'm a big fan of cognitive behavioral therapy and act which um the, like now what it stands for is um is fleeting so look look that up people um but cbt and act act is a little bit more on um kind of awareness and mindfulness 
and like being guided by your, by your values and letting that kind of enable you to figure out like what, what the best um, thing to do is for yourself, like how to make sure that your, your needs are met and you're feeling fulfilled, et cetera. So those were, I would say from a therapy perspective, that's what I was doing. Um, But I have to say the meditation and yoga were incredibly therapeutic as well. Right. Yes, exactly. You know, it's so interesting because it's, it's so important to have, I think all aspects of healing, right? I mean, the, 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 that kind of therapy where you're, you know, you're, you're talking things out and you're, you know, you're using logistic. I mean, it's, it's not quite that simple, but it's sort of dealing with everything in the now, you know, it's not like digging in and all this kind of stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, well, I mean, it depends on who you are and where you are in your journey. Like I'm very aware of my trauma and I'm very aware of how, who I am is closely shaped to, you know, my upbringing, um, and, and both the nature and nurture. So, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply aware. Um, but I think for a lot of people that maybe aren't as connected to their own story and their trauma and their history and their family relationships and their youth, et cetera. I mean, psychoanalysis does, does have a role to play. Um, so I I think it just really depends on who you are, where you are in your journey and, you know, what, what's challenging you at the moment. Right. No, and that is very true. That is very true. I was just because I'm thinking in terms of um, I've been doing, you know, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy for like half my life. And now finally next week with my current therapist, we're finally going to start doing some EMDR. um, It's all the rage now, I'm told. (laughs) Apparently. And, um, and, And just, you know, hearing about just, you know, hearing about it and hearing it described, it makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense, right? Because it's sort of like, this is less about analyzing why something is, you know, the way it is based on events and things that were created in memories, but it's like, let's rewire kind of how they have affected us a little bit, you know, like let's, let's reimplant some new feelings and ideas um, within those memories, you know? So anyhow, but so I was just, Okay. I was curious about the the therapy. Okay. So you, you I'm with you, you were in the hotel, you started looking up the, okay. So you found out about like the retreats, um, and now continue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then, uh, I, I dove in. Um, so I, I did this three day retreat. Um, I guess before the retreat, there was, I was a little annoyed. They didn't do great communication with us in advance to like prepare us. So, um, I guess for two weeks, they kind of recommended before the ceremony that you're supposed to start going on your ayahuasca diet and clearing out a lot of, you know, fats and seasonings and, you know, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. There's a whole, whole diet around, um, you know, simple eating and removing a lot of all, all the fats and meats and dairy and so on. Um, mm. And I'm also I'm a daily cannabis smoker. And they do recommend I now don't remember how long maybe it's like a week or something would be ideal to not be smoking. Um, but then they prefer at least two days before. Also, if you're a, a tobacco smoker, uh, they really strongly suggest that you stop 
a few days before and also cleanse your system of caffeine, which was difficult for me as a coffee drinker um, and also alcohol. So like really, really clean, um, really, really clean eating, cleaning your body and um, not putting toxins and other drugs and stimulants um, and depressants in your body. So we, we were instructed a little late on <laughs> what, what to do. Um, yeah. but then I, I followed, I followed all the directions. Um, and I had no idea how many people we were going to be or anything like that. Um, so I just show up to this location, um, just outside of Amsterdam and we were in a house. There were, I think 13 of us as, uh, participants. And then we had, um, like the main guide and then, three or four other um, helpers or supporters. And it wasn't like, a, she wasn't necessarily like a spiritual guide. She was just the person to mix the ayahuasca and create the space, um, follow, follow some rituals of clearing the space and preparing everybody for what's to come and to create um, kind of a loving, positive um, maybe not even positive, but like a loving and safe environment where mm -hmm. we could all be together. Um, and that enabled us also to, to go through the ceremonies together to process a little bit. Um, and then to have plenty of alone space and time, uh, to process what we were going through independently as well. So, so this, yeah. this, this woman, so you said she wasn't necessarily a, she was kind of, she was a guide, but it wasn't, when I hear about, you know, uh, ayahuasca stories, right, I think of like a shaman or someone who, so you didn't have, let me just, I'll let you finish the story because you're, you're being, you're being detailed enough that you're probably going to get to it. And I'm jumping ahead. No, it's fine. Um, I mean, I would not consider her a shaman. She, she had been, she was relatively young. So, I mean, I think early mid thirties, no older, um, and this, you know, white Dutch lady who, um, you know, had gone to the Amazon and done ayahuasca, I mean, hundreds of times along with other things. So Jesus. she was very experienced and she, she studied with other shamans, uh, but she was not a shaman herself and did not claim to be, and, um, was, was very much kind of our mixologist, if you will, and mm -hmm. in touch with you know, doses and what people need and making sure that we have a safe environment. So that was really, um, what she, what she was doing and the people like that. that were guiding with her were also just really making sure they had, they had other specialties where some of them, um, you know, no breathing techniques and meditation techniques and things like this. Um, and they kind of care for you throughout, throughout the sessions. Um, but a lot of it, you're supposed to be going through yourself. So um, in terms of the setup, we were all in a room together, kind of like a big living room, dining room. We were, we were in a house um, and everybody had this, a, this room was large. Was it really large? It's, I mean, large enough to have no, like we were all like, of, we were like sardines barfing all over each other. <laughs> no, not that close, but it was, it was intimate. You know, it, we were not, yeah. we were not in a mansion. Um, we had plenty of space and I have to say like more sober. I looked at the space and I was like, we are how many in what space? And there, there's only like one and a half bathrooms. There's one bathroom on this floor and there's one bathroom or two bathrooms upstairs. Like I was, 
not comfortable with any of that. But once everything got rolling, um, we had everything that we needed in all the space that we needed and everything was fine. <laughs> um, but it, <laughs> it felt, it felt like very intimate. Um, we each had our own like a single bed and bedding and duvet and pillows and then our own puke bucket, as you've alluded to, um, and water bottle and tissues. So, um, and I think, um, yeah, eye covers and, and things like this. And so we more or less, you know, settle in as the sun is going down, start to have a little bit of a cleansing ceremony where we're all, you know, we have Palo Santo clearing the air around everybody, um, setting your intentions. So a lot of um, plant medicine ceremonies and rituals is a lot about set and setting. So they make sure that you're, you're set up in your mind, that the, the space, the setting is, um, is safe and clean and has what you need. And uh, you kind of mentally prepare yourself to go into what you're about to to experience. Um, and they kind of guided us through all of that. Um, and we each took, took a few doses, um, throughout the evening. So like the sun goes down, we start the ritual. Um, and then as it's dark, we kind of each take, um, our more or less like shot of, uh, of ayahuasca with some, uh, personal kind of prayers or meditations. And, uh, we decide, we kind of agree with the guide, what size dose we're going to take. Um, and yeah. And then the, the journey begins and we more or less do that three, three, three evenings in a row. Wow. Can you give me an example of, of one of your first intentions if you feel comfortable? Yeah, it's funny. I, sh I showed up, I was so, I'm such, um, a chatty person. And at the time I was so down and I was so serious and I just felt like I am here to do really difficult work. Um, and I wow. know that this is going to be hard and I'm ready for it. So <laughs> I just, um, the first night I just was really kind of meditating on, you know, show me what I need to see. I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to do the work. Um, and like, I know this is going to be scary, but let's do it. So kind of just an openness to say, I, you, I know that there are these black boxes, these, these big walls that I have. So take me where I need to go to, to get past these. So that, that was very much a very open intention of guide me. I mean, uh, mother ayahuasca, you know, a lot of people say, yeah. I mean, I know mother cannabis, but I, I didn't know mother makes sense though. <laughs> the mother, you know, I, I get it. Okay. Yeah. People really personify so, this plant medicine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it makes sense. Well, if anything, what's funny, cause it's like, they do that in a way to probably glorify it. But in reality, it's, I feel like it's, well, now I'm really glorifying and not, the point is, is that the, the, the intention of the, right, this, you know, a, a sort of spiritual awakening, as you will, feels, um, feels like it should be on a higher pedestal than a human is all, is all my point is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've got my walk on a pedestal, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. The first night, what was that like? 
like the trip. I mean, yeah. I, I just... actually, I was so, I was actually, my body was so resistant um, that mm. I took, I took three doses that night and they were very big doses. Um, I think I took the most of anybody that evening. Um, and I had also taken, uh, they, they also give you this uh, rapé, which is like a ground tobacco powder that they blow into your nose. And sometimes like if you're stuck in a, like in a loop, um, it's supposed to clear you from the loop or kind of push you to the next level. So I had taken three of these very big ayahuasca doses and they also brought over the rapé and um, I could feel a little bit different, but I definitely wasn't having um, any kind of significant experience or journey. And um, they do kind of warn you, like your your body does kind of decide and is a guard. Um, and for some people, things just don't happen. And I was definitely one of those people on the first night. I was, I was really frustrated. Um, so I, I tried to be open for quite some time. And, you know, I tried another dose and then another dose and then had some repay. And then me and the guy just kind of agreed, like, whatever's happening, it's not going to happen tonight. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny, right? Because we try so hard with something, right? We just create so much more resistance around it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think I was, I was like ready to do the work and I really showed up and then it didn't happen. So I was definitely disappointed, um, by the end of the night, but, um, kept my resolve and they did have some interesting, like other things that you could do such as, um, taking combo, which is a frog poison essentially that they burn into your skin. Um, and it makes you feel like you're going to die. Um, and it's meant to clean out all the toxins from your body. So you, you kind of vomit a lot for a short period of time and um, it's a really, <laughs> it's a really hardcore physical experience. Um, mm -hmm. And it's called Combo. I think it's K-A-M-B-O. Um, and uh, in the beginning, when I knew about this whole three-day ceremony, I was like, oh, well, that other crap, like, I'm, that's, that's just too crazy. Um, but mm -hmm. in the morning, when nothing had happened the night before, they did say that, you know, maybe if you, if you take some of the combo, it can really, it's known to kind of open you up even more and create the space for the ayahuasca to really do, do the work. Um, mm -hmm. and so I got little burns in my skin and had this frog poison put on it and puked my brains out, um, and felt <laughs> like I was going to die and went yeah. through that. It's a very short experience again. I mean, it's a whole like 45 minute process, but it's incredibly intense. Um, and I was not expecting to do that, but I just said, Hey, I'm here and I want to go through this. Um, so let me give myself all of the opportunities to fully utilize, um, what's being brought to me right now to, to get through this. Right. And right. I will tell you, night two, it worked. I don't know if it was the combo. I don't know if it was that I hadn't really eaten much for several days. I don't know what it was, but I tripped balls on the second night. And it was the most intense confrontational experience um, with myself that I have ever experienced in my life. Um, very overwhelming, 
Um, and it did not feel healing in the moment. A lot of people feel like they go through an entire journey when they're on a single ayahuasca trip where they might die and be reborn and, you know, be guided to love themselves and so forth. And I didn't have any of that mm. sweet shit. Um, it wasn't horrific either, but I was, it was just nothing but self confrontation and, and so many of those walls that I was trying to, to break down. I mean, several of them broke down and, and way more than I expected. And I had so many revelations that I knew that I needed. Um, and then many that I, I didn't know that I needed that totally surprised me. Um, yeah. And they were all in rapid succession and <laughs> feeling very extreme. Wow. Can you give me an example of when you said you know, a lot of self-confrontation, um, wh what I would imagine or assume is right. A lot of self-judgment coming up or, or, or this inner critic that's just maybe really sort of shouting at you. Can you, can you show, what was that like? Yeah. Yeah. So before this experience, I had read Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. And that was the first time that I really started grappling with this idea of the ego. And um, for those who haven't read it, the ego isn't really about like being narcissistic and self-centered. It's more about like your thoughts and that voice in your head that's kind of talking all the time. And his, his Eckhart Tolle is very philosophical. And I, I love the book because it was very inspiring on thinking about something new, but it's not really practical for how to, how to bring any of these lessons into your life. And so mm -hmm. I recognize this conceptual idea of the ego, um, but only during this ayahuasca ayahuasca experience was I, what did I realize, um, that this voice in my head is not me. So, um, one thing that helped me realize this, which isn't directly answering your question on what was confrontational, but I had two perceptions, um, happening in parallel. And one was me tripping balls and completely hallucinating my brains out. Um, being unable to move, unable to help myself, unable to speak, unable to keep a clear thought. And then there was this other kind of voice presence consciousness that was judging it like felt completely sober and judging everything and having commentary on everything. I was judging all of us for poisoning ourselves going like you stupid fucking humans. Like you, you take this, you know, you're all retching. You sound disgusting. You're out of your minds. Like, why do we, this is so ridiculous that we have to poison ourselves. And, you know, these guides, these white Dutch people, you know, they're not from the Amazon and they're, they're fake and all of this. So I'm judging me, I'm judging them. I'm going on and on. And as this is happening, I'm like, how is this possible that I am tripping out like beyond my mind? beyond possibility what i knew was within the realm of possibility and then i'm also still criticizing and judging and commenting on all of this and there was this awareness that like i am beyond these thoughts that's that's like one that like this voice in my head these sounds this isn't my essence this isn't me the these are voices and sounds and thoughts and that's it like they're not more important than that and mm -hmm. also the awareness of this judgy person 
And um, I mentioned earlier in our conversation, you know, my my former partner was so kind and good to me in a lot of ways. Um, and one thing that he said to me, he would mirror back to me for for years, unfortunately, uh, for me and for him, was uh, be kind to my partner, be nicer to my partner. And he would say that to me because I was constantly mean to myself. And mm-hmm. I wasn't conscious of it. Like, even when he would say it for years, I still couldn't fully grasp what this guy was saying. I'm like, what I was mm-hmm. really doing. And all of a sudden, it was like, so clear, <laughs> so obvious. Wow. And um, a lot of the ways, a lot of my suffering, I realized was this ego, this judging thinking self that was not only judging and thinking and criticizing all the time, but also was creating so many rules. And that in fact, all of the, the rules that I live by, mostly I create. And there, there are mm-hmm. rules and boundaries and, um, and so on. Uh, sometimes in a little prison cell, you know, I create my own little prison cell and nobody else is holding me accountable to it, but myself. And I think this Mm -hmm. lack of consciousness of the fact that I was creating all these judgments and criticisms and I was creating the rule book and I was my own monitor and I was my own, you know, judgment. I was my own judge and executioner in many ways that I was really doing it all myself. It was all coming from inside. It was not externally imposed. Um, but certainly also what helped, what that helped me realize too is all the inputs. I'm, I'm really analytical and into information. And as, as I said earlier, I'm curious and I'm just trying to soak up new information and experiences all the time um, to, to learn more and to continue reminding myself how fucking ignorant I am and we all are. Um, but that also comes with, uh, with a lot of expectations of how to behave and what to do, et cetera. Um, and yeah, it was all, all kind of self-created. So I think, I think those, that was one major one. And another major confrontation was that I really deeply struggle and I always have with asking for help. It's really mm-hmm. hard for me to reach out, to, to admit that I need help. Like even like, I'm not even conscious when I, it's complete. Like I, yeah, I don't even know. It's hard for me to even know that I need help because help seems so outside of the realm of possibility that it's not an option. The only option is to figure shit out by myself, which is not real. That's again, a system that I've kind of created, right. um, also based on my upbringing and some of the traumas, but nonetheless, um, it is something that I've created and I was tripping so hard that I could not use my legs or like my limbs. And at a certain point I needed to go to the bathroom and I needed to somehow communicate, get the attention of people, communicate and really be helped in so many different ways. And I was fully reliant on people with what felt like for hours. It turned out it was probably like 35 minutes. Um, I was very curious the next day, like how long my whole, my whole uh, experience lasted with trying to communicate that I need to get, get to the bathroom, get to the bathroom, then get out of the bathroom. They were like, yeah, it was. Like, they were like, you, you tripped hard for, for 14 <laughs> minutes, then you shit your pants and fell asleep. 
<laughs> yeah, well, not not quite that, but certainly at least this this part of the the trip was um much much shorter than it than it felt. Um, but it was incredibly for me, it it I mean, they say that ayahuasca gives you exactly what you need. And for me, this yeah. inability to do anything for myself was actually exactly what I needed. And then I, I literally had people picking me up and waiting outside the bathroom for me and knocking on the door and, you know, carrying me around. Wow. Um, and never in my wildest dreams would I, I mean, I, I tell people when I'm, when I'm older, as soon as I lose some of my faculties, as soon as I can't be fully mm-hmm. functional by myself, just take me out. I mean, that's genuinely... Um, how yeah. I felt for for most of my life, and um, and then I'm confronted with a situation where I can't do anything for myself, and that was such a blessing yeah. because they took great care of me. Of course, <laughs> I can rely on other people, right? <laughs> and there's so many more, but um, those those are two two examples. Those are beautiful. Those are beautiful examples, and um, I just want to take it. And I, this stuff is is really deep, but I want to take it a, just a step deeper. Um, does that mean that you didn't shit your pants? <laughs> I did not shit my pants. Thank God. That is so impressive. I didn't. I just assumed that that came with the territory. No, no. But you're um, most people are like vomiting throughout. But I'm I'm really like I really don't like bodily um bodily fluids and like the messiness of the human condition (laughs) which was another thing i was significantly confronted with not only with my own but other people's because you're in a group of 13 people and fucking everybody's puking it's so disgusting um and yeah yeah, and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of disgust there but then there's also a lot of acceptance and letting go and that was another you know confrontation for me um was actually around both control because I'm, I'm very controlling um, and I'm a big planner and, you know, like I say, I get shit done, but it's, it's a lot of control stuff. Um, <laughs> and, you know, mm-hmm. like realizing that, you know, you're hearing vomiting, you're hearing laughing, you're hearing giggling, you're watching dancing, you're seeing some people dancing around and, you know, some people crying and screaming bloody murder um, and sounding like they're dying or giving labor um, or in labor, you know? And there was something about, you know, my own letting go of the disgust of my own, like public vomiting, for example, and then also hearing the cacophony of sounds and experiences and realizing that like life is super fucking messy and there's no way to control it. And it's like complex and everything's happening all the time. And it just is. There's there's no controlling it. We have no control. Right. And I I can't con- are- I can't stop my body from taking a shit. I can't stop my body from throwing up, you know? But yeah. Right. So that's that was a that was a mind blowing as well such a huge lesson in control that's so crazy too because i was going to ask you i think it's so interesting at first i was thinking wouldn't it maybe affect your own process and experience when you're surrounded by a bunch of other people who are going through that right because there's so much we're all energy right so it's like how do you know that one person's experience isn't sort of um you know, infiltrating your own, right? And, and but but you saying that, and also I was imagining 
that there's probably maybe a little less, if possible, judgment of self experiencing this while you're hearing others go through that too. Yeah, I think it depends. And, you know, I think I felt all those things. <laughs> so I think there yeah. was the self-judgment. There was wanting to be going through things privately. There was the acceptance that that's not realistic and that's not the situation I'm in. And also all the beautiful lessons and outcomes of having to go through that in a, in a group experience. And um, as somebody that's very private, very solo, um, my whole life and a, you know, get shit done kind of uh, independent person. There, there were parts of me that were like, man, I can't believe I'm doing, uh, you know, even in the moment, like I can't believe I'm doing this in the group, but I was so grateful that I did because some of the lessons that came out of it, even during, I mean, sometimes when people were really screaming or, you know, going through a really hard part of their own journey, it can be really distracting and difficult um, so it's not to say that that's, that's not true, but at the same time, there were, there mm -hmm. were really great lessons that I got from that and also something beautiful going through that together with other people. I mean, and the fact that we were lucky to, to be doing it for multiple days together. So we were able to also, you know, build a group energy and, and trust and, um, you know, a lot of love for each other. So also having that support and knowing that you're not going through any of this alone, regardless of how different the experiences are, can be really wonderful. I mean, me and this one Danish guy out of, out of all 13 people, the two of us, we were both very serious and going through like some tough and dark stuff. And a lot of the other people had the heavier parts, but it usually got much lighter and he and I were the only ones that like throughout the whole experience were like, we're not, we're not getting this light stuff. All y'all are talking about. And we were pretty serious. So I think knowing that we were both, you know, in that part of our own journey was helpful to know that we weren't alone. Um, but it was also nice to be in a group and, and see what other people were experiencing, even if it was different from, from our own experience. Right. Right. Community, man. Yeah, the next night was it was interesting because my my thought process and my feelings towards it were a little bit more complicated. I felt like, um, you know, I'm showing up again. I'm here to do some hard work. It's like the first day I showed up like that. Nothing, not much happened. The second night it went nuts. And I was like, am I really going to do this to myself again? You know, so feeling feeling really kind of prepared um, and serious about, you know, this work and this tough stuff that I need to get through. And at the same time, like that was really hard and confrontational. <laughs> am I, am I ready to do this again? Um, so the feelings going into it were, were a bit mixed if I'm, if I'm totally honest. Um, but still, of course I was game and, uh, did ayahuasca again and um, also had some pretty significant journeys. Um, I did not, it wasn't quite as confrontational or, you know, hardcore as the, the night before um, because what they, what they had said in those videos that I had referred to earlier about kind of the, the daily progression was true. You know, while I was asking myself, am I really doing this to myself again? I, I was calmer in some senses because I, I did feel like I had an idea of what was to come and what this was going to be like. Um, 
And I think, you know, there was still a good amount of tripping balls, uh, but for, for less time and less intensively and several revelations that also came through on that second night. But I have to say, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, it was, it was relatively um, serious and hard um, the whole, the whole experience. And I was actually very curious when it would end how I would feel because I wasn't experiencing some of these rebirths that other people, um, you know, they feel reborn or put back together. Literally there, there are a lot of people that kind of, um, imagine, uh, somehow being killed and then reborn or like an alien taking them away and like taking out their parts in their body and then restoring them with new parts and, um, really, really clear metaphors of, uh, death and rebirth. And, um, I didn't experience any of that, but I will say that, um, after the third night, um, in the morning, from the first morning of full sobriety, I felt calm and quiet. And every day after that, for weeks, I felt lighter, more clear, having a clear understanding of myself and my my deeper inner workings. And like nothing else I've ever experienced, I felt that my thoughts and my behaviors were immediately restructured um, and that I was thinking and behaving differently, you know, probably not to so much to the outside world, but internally it felt so different. Um, and I, yeah, my thoughts, my, my self-judgments, my criticisms, all these things were so much softer when it did come up. I was very aware of them and let them go. And um, yeah, I've I've never I've never had a therapy, uh, be it through plant medicine or talk therapy or meditation, any kind of practice that has such immediate and continuous effects. And I have to say, I felt that um, the revelations kept coming. I was able to see myself and see the world in different ways for months after, um, this three-day ceremony. And I, I really have to say that I feel like I was really changed. I do, I do think after maybe about a year, um, about a year later, I did, I did kind of, um, I did decide to go on a, mushroom, take a mushroom ceremony, a psilocybin ceremony, um, to kind of reconnect with myself and check in on a few things and see if that lighter, less intense journey of the psilocybin compared to the ayahuasca would be, would be useful as a check-in. But, um, I've, I've never had such long-term and deep, significant, immediate change from anything. Um, and that doesn't mean that that's true for everyone, but that's certainly for, for my experience. Exactly. I mean, it almost, you know, it, it, it almost sounds like an exorcism of sorts, right? I mean, just the way that you were describing it, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like breaking down, you know, like you sort of maybe had these hard walls up, right? That first night. And then once you, once, 
And then finally, right, it started to crack. It started to crack and it was just breaking all this shit down, you know, and it's, yeah, I mean, kind of a rebirth in a way, you know, maybe not. And, but you also went into it. You said feeling very serious, you know, right. I'm sure, you know, your, your mentality and your, your being and your, the, the state of, just your entire existence going into something like this is going to it's going to be very telling probably how yeah yeah I mean I think I I very clearly like needed it and wanted it and was welcoming it um and again back to the set and setting so really having having the mindset of it was clear what I wanted to do it wasn't specific like I want to change x in my life it was, I'm ready to confront the things that I'm clearly burying yeah. um, and to deal with the stuff. And um, and the setting was good. My environment was good. And then um, another thing when you're, when you're dealing with these ceremonies and plant-based medicines is that they talk about besides set and setting is also reintegration and being able to take the lessons that you've learned from this experience and bring it back into your life. And I didn't have any guidance for that. I will say it was difficult. If I had known more, I would have taken like a day off or a few days actually off of work. Um, And this ceremony kind of ended the third night was a Saturday night and I had Sunday and then um, to kind of like recover, if you will. And Monday went right back to work and that felt too fast. I would not, I would not do that again. Um, But luckily we did have a WhatsApp group of all the, all the people that were there. So we felt in community and we were able to share. I mean, we, we were very active in that WhatsApp group for, you know, I uh, definitely a few weeks, maybe a few months after the experience where we were all processing together um, the new insights that we have, the changes that have been made, the way that we feel and how we're relating to people and our daily lives again, because it is, it is a, a bit overwhelming and I, I would recommend um, support or at least knowing people in your community that have done it before, because it was, I remember on the Sunday where I was kind of recovering and taking a break, um, a friend of mine came by and visited and I didn't realize that he had taken ayahuasca before, but, um, when he came by and and he didn't even know that I did this three day ceremony and I told him when he came over and then he started sharing some of his experiences, um, and things that came to him during that. And, it felt it made me just feel like a sense of belonging and like I wasn't alone in my in my my own community, not just in this new community that I built um, with the ayahuasca ceremony. And I, I felt like that was that was really helpful. And the, the final kind of point I want to make about all of these revolutions and, and whatnot and the lasting effect is um, not only did I have this set setting and reintegration, but this was part of a whole um process of you know emotional rebuilding um and and a whole journey of healing for me after several years that were really tough so it's it's not like I was just in a place and then just bam took ayahuasca you know as I had said I've meditation and yoga and therapy multiple therapies and books and and Mm -hmm. so on um so this is this was like one I I joke with people saying I had a whole team I had a whole team of healers um, that really helped me get through this. And I think ayahuasca was one of uh, one of the represent re- representatives in that team. 
Definitely. And and I'm glad you said that too, because it's, it's so, um, it's so appealing to think of doing this, to think of, of getting instant results. I mean, that's what, you know, the, the, just that idea of, right, being able to take this, um, I'm not going to call it a drug, you know, it's an ancient medicine, right, and have all of these experiences, but there's, there's so many layers to something like this, and one person's experience is not the other, and right, like you said, it's not like you went in there feeling completely reborn, I mean, it was tough, Um it's so funny because I can imagine some people thinking, well, I would love to have all sorts of revelations and, you know, have my walls be broken down and confront some shit. But, you know, but I, I can't afford to, to leave the country and do an ayahuasca ceremony. Um, you know, and it's so funny. Um, I, I love the idea of doing ayahuasca and then that was sort of quickly shattered when I realized, oh yeah, I have to be on, I have to be on Zoloft. And I know that they highly recommend, um, require perhaps even that you're not on any kind of medication, right? When you're, I mean, shit. I mean, even the foods you said you eat leading up to that moment. Um, cause I love the idea of, of doing something like this. And, and then at the same time, I think how, how, ultimately different means it's a different it's a very concentrated experience but then I remember too that I've been in therapy half my life you know I I uh, you know meditation and there's this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this little thing and this little thing and this little thing and sometimes I think do I really need it I mean sure I'm sure it would um I feel like I keep using the word illuminate but it's just so fucking good I feel like well maybe I don't need maybe it's not as exciting or, or maybe it's also kind of the um, well, I love, I mean, like, like many people, I love the idea of getting instant results or let me do this thing and, and blow my mind or get me to a place where I need to be. Cause where I feel like sucks right now. Um, but it's not always necessary. Well, nothing is necessary. Right. I mean, like ayahuasca or anything, um, one would have to feel really compelled to want to do it. Right. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's the case with, with anything, anything, anybody experiments with. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's, it's really, and, and I, I like what you're saying about, you know, I, I do think a lot of people do seek, you know, instant results. And in some ways I was looking for, an instant results in terms of something to smash down those walls. You know, I was looking for saying, okay, in three days, <laughs> I've been, I've been working on all this shit for, you know, a year and a half, two years and a lifetime of self-awareness building and therapy and, and stuff like this, but uh, very concentrated in, in the, you know, year or so before it. Um, and so it is true that I did have relatively instant results. If you, if you count that as a three day breaking some barriers, but, it's certainly much more than that. And um, it does sound a little bit folklore and a little woo-woo, but, you know, a lot of people that, um, you know, build a relationship with ayahuasca really do feel like uh, there's a calling and a journey. And like when your time is ready, like you just kind of know it. And that's, that is exactly how I felt. I mean, I had learned about this thing years and years ago and had been curious and 
you know, assume that maybe one day I might do it, even though it sounded so crazy and intense. Um, and then it just happened. But indeed, you also, you know, you've got to be able to afford it. It was not cheap, um, not easy to access. And um, I do think that there are practitioners in a lot of different places. So I think you'd be surprised where you could find it. Right. Um, and I do think that there are a lot of ceremonies around, but it is it is relatively expensive. Um and I, I do have questions how much of that money is going back to the producers of uh, these and, and finders of, and, you know, um, processors of this plant-based medicine, given that I'm in uh, supply chain sustainability. I'm always curious about who is, uh, you know, the first one to touch the plant and to start processing and, and how are they benefiting? Because a whole industry has blown up about it um, or around it. But Nonetheless, I think that you can access it and um, pay a pretty penny to be able to access it. And I also think, um, you know, I had a friend after after I had done this and they were saying, um, yeah, let's do ayahuasca together when you come and visit, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and you're like, I, you're like and- Bitch, it's not ecstasy. Pretty much. I mean, pretty much. And this is a friend that, that experiments with, with a lot of, a lot of different substances and has for much longer than me. Um, and I made very clear this to me, which is, is not a point that you're trying to make, but I do also want to want to make clear that this, this to me is, is a very healing and intensive experience. I would never do this recreationally. Right. Um, and I, I even question because some people say that there are really great benefits also um, in different types of explorations and journeys that you can do when you're when you're feeling whole and good. It's not just something to do, you know, in my case, like when you're trying to when you're in a darker place and you're trying to get through some some walls that you have. I mean, it could be a really expanding opening experience when you're in a good place with yourself. Um, but based on my experience, I mean, who knows when I'll, I'll do it again, but I can't imagine that this is going to be a medicine that I turn to when other things aren't getting me where I need to go. Um, but certainly not as a shortcut more as like, maybe not even a last result either, but one of the tools in the toolbox, you know, you know, back to the team idea. It's, it's one of the team members that's, that's there to help out. And acknowledging that this probably isn't going to be fun. Maybe it could be, but it's probably not going to be fun and enjoyable. Right. Um, but it is healing. Yeah. And you know what, too? And I think, and, I, and, I, and I'm just thinking, I was thinking back to the intentions thing. I thought, you know, yeah, there could be, I mean, thinking of, you said the woman who sort of guided you guys had hundreds of experiences, which is so crazy to me. Um, you could probably have very different, yeah, experiences um, if one wanted to, you know, like I feel... Like I was just imagining, man, I mean, I have a shit ton of things that, that I might uh, intend to experience. But one of the things I, if I feel like for me would be really getting in touch with my inner child in a non-judgmental way or, or some shit. So I imagine that, you know, potentially it could be, but everybody's on such a set, you know, even if you're, you know, this isn't like a, right. It's not a social, it doesn't feel like a social <laughs> It's no social experience, you know? Um, no, and you can't, you know, you also, it's really hard to like, it's it's not common that you're going to conjure up a specific experience, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. It, you don't know what the hell's going A be. lot of people have like, like an intention of like, you know, show me what I need to know versus like, 
you know, I want to process the grief with my father or like, I want to get in touch with my inner child and like get this one experience that I had and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's rare that you're going to be able to direct it. Maybe if you're, if you're using it a lot and you have a lot of practice, you know, Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. I'm not an expert, but um, from the people that I've talked to and the experiences that I've witnessed and the discussions that I've been a part of now as someone in this community, I feel like, um, you know, everybody says back to this personification of mother ayahuasca, mother ayahuasca shows you, um, what she wants and what you're ready for and what you need, not necessarily what you ask for. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's some divine shit right there. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Ashley, I am, am so uh, grateful that you shared this experience. Um, it more in detail with me and with us. And I just, I love, I love the way you tell stories and talk about your experiences. It's just, it's such a delight listening to you. And I look forward to visiting you so we can make out and do ayahuasca together. Definitely. That's exactly what we're going to do. In my head, I I said I was going to say that. I laughed so hard in my head. And then, you know, you don't skip a beat. You're like, you're always, you're so quick. God damn it. It's because I'm sober. It's because I didn't get high before this interview. So, you know, you just, you just have to pick and choose the the right Ashley for the situation. Jesus. And I've been sober for almost a full year and I'm like, you know. A little bit like that's that. how we like you that's thank how we you. like you bethany um thank you for having me thank you um thank you for asking questions and and being interested and giving me a space to express myself um i appreciate it i hope this is uh somehow um helpful or illuminating for mm-hmm. you know someone out there listen i think you you can bet your ass that it's illuminating i, I think you can truly and, um, and it's helpful. And I just love, again, I love how all of these revelations and, and lessons just feel, they feel, they feel so prevalent to even my life right now. You know, like these are such huge things. I just, I just, I love that you got your, your ass beat by all of this wisdom <laughs> in this three day period, you know, dude. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, me too. Thank, thank God for that. Um, and thank God for all the self-love that, that flooded in, um, during, during and after and, and forgiveness. Um, if, if only we could all just be so much more loving and kind and forgiving of ourselves. Um, I agree. You know, that's, that's what I wish for you and for myself and, and for everybody. I think we, we'd be better to each other if we could be better to ourselves. It's so true. It's so true. Ashley, in a non-capitalistic so way. <laughs> in a non-capitalistic way, you said? Yeah. Definitely. Outside Definitely. of the capitalist system. We don't need to be buying a bunch of shit for ourselves. Let's feed our hearts and souls. Um, yeah, but thanks thanks again, Bethany. It's been, it's been a real pleasure. It's been such a pleasure, Ashley. I love you dearly, and I will talk to you soon. Love you too. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. <laughs> pleasure was mine that's self help ideas and thoughts
Bethany. Oh, that was a good ending, you dickhead. <laughs>